You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome in to the very first edition of the off-day debrief, part of the SB Nation NFL show here. And we are very excited because we are going to bring you some of the storylines and some of the weird things that maybe you might not have noticed on Sunday. I'm Rob Stats Guerrero, and I'm very pleased and privileged to be joined by Brandon Lee Gowden of Bleeding Green Nation. What's up, Brandon? Stats, I am honored to be here with you. I mean, you're the man. Like, you know, this guy, uh, before I even met you, uh, you know, met, quote unquote, in these times that we live in, uh, obviously virtual anyway for us. Uh, I mean, you know, you're, you're at Pro Football Talk with Mike Florio. You're at Mike and Mike. Yes, I mean, you're the big time star on this show. Uh, that's true. Let's be honest. Thank you. Um, yes, I was at Mike and Mike and PFT. So I've been knee deep in the NFL for a long time. But I mean, when it comes to the star, Bleeding Green Nation is clearly the SB Nation star of stars. Well, some say that. And some say that the off-day debrief or the oddcast, as I think, you know, we fans, hopefully us people, everyone really will lovingly come to know it as uh, some say the most important podcast on the new SB Nation NFL feed, which I feel like people should obviously be subscribing to if you're not already. And also rating and reviewing and specifically our show, too. I mean, like if we're the most important show, you have to show the love for the oddcast. Yeah, let's be honest. If you're going to pick one, and that's sort of the goal here. Every day of the week, we're going to give you a different different menu item, essentially. Different things for different days of the week. But if you're going to pick one, you know the right choice to make. So please make it. Um, Just a little bit about the show and what we hope to bring you. Obviously, it's going to drop every Tuesday, so we're going to have reaction to Monday Night Football for sure. Uh, Anything great that happens or weird or anything, really, we'll break it all down for you. But we also want to get into some of the storylines from Sunday because there's so much going on that you can't get to everything on Monday. And there's a lot of stuff that sort of falls through the cracks. And that's the kind of thing that we're going to be taking a look at. And it's going to get a little weird because it's not always going to be like the hardcore football stuff. Sometimes a guy decides to stir Gatorade with a plastic sleeve Mm -hmm. of cups and we're going to talk about it. That and I feel like just, you know, a general state of the league kind of thing here, too. You know, just taking stock of uh, where teams are, maybe talk about some big uh, picture issues for the league that are going on. You know, obviously, like it's kind of a pandemic going on right now. And uh, the league league has to find a way to navigate that. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. I mean, that is a whole set. We could do a whole separate show on that. But, uh, (laughs) you know, they they mandated now with no fans in the stands that you have to play crowd noise. The whole game from kickoff to the final whistle and Kyle Shanahan for the for the 49ers got a taste of it in practice and described it as, quote, a form of human torture. 
it's terrible. I was there at the uh, the Eagles did a scrimmage at their home stadium a couple of weeks ago, and uh, it was horrible. It didn't even sound like a crowd to me, like like a NFL football crowd. It sounded like you were at a restaurant and it was kind of just like ambient noise, like just you know you're like you're at the bar and people are just like you know chatting loudly. It's it didn't even sound like a crowd, and also I mean if like no one's gonna have the ability to control. I mean, maybe this will be fixed, but like, you know, when certain sounds are happening. So like, you know, someone goes down with like, like Patrick Mahomes suffers like a season ending ACL injury and like the crowd is cheering. Like what is going on here? Yeah, it's, it's weird. Do you think they just went to like YouTube and typed in crowd noise and just were like, okay, this is good. Send this to all the teams and tell them to play it. I can't tell you they didn't do that. <laughs> Would you be stunned if they were like, well, the cheapest option is to just go to YouTube and find some sound there some stock noise like a stock photo uh exactly all right we'll stop crashing the nfl um and one of the things we want to do is power rankings every week we're going to do power rankings i shouldn't say we every week brandon is going to do power rankings and i'm going to tear them apart it's essentially the plan (laughs) am i right i mean that sounds pretty good you know i do these every week for bleeding green nation uh i've been doing them for many years now so i'm obviously very qualified and i know what i'm talking about and uh, it's not like I only write about the Eagles. I definitely know about all 32 teams in detail. As much as the fans uh, from other teams will be listening to this show, will recognize and probably won't have any issues with any of my rankings at any point. So, But apparently you do already. So uh, I'm interested to get to that. Yeah, okay. Well, let's dive in. Um, number one, Kansas City Chiefs. First, let me give the top 10, and then we'll get into it. So number one, the Chiefs. Number two, the Ravens. Number three, Saints. Number four, Seahawks. Number five, 49ers. Number six, Dallas Cowboys. Number seven, Tennessee Titans. Packers at eight, Vikings at nine, and the Texans at 10. First of all, congratulations for keeping your Eagles out of the top 10. Good job by you. Look, I mean, obviously... I want the Eagles to win more than anything, but I hate them very much. You know, it's it's a <laughs> fair balance here. You know, I'm not I'm not going to homer it up all the time, uh, especially after being burned the past couple of years by the Eagles, being you know high on them coming off the Super Bowl win coming into 2018, and then last year in 2019, I thought they were going to you know bounce back, uh, but you know, they need to prove it to me a little bit, and so do a lot of these teams because I'm I'm very skeptical. Uh, I'm very I guess quick to point out a fraud. And, uh, yeah, so basically what I'm trying to say is I hate all of your teams. (laughs) Uh, I actually saw a thing on Twitter with uh, somebody made a picture of, I think it was Keith Law, literally a fan from every baseball team telling Keith Law he hates their team, which is just brilliant. Yes. So now that we've established that you hate all teams equally, I have no issue with the Chiefs at number one. They're the Super Bowl champions. They haven't played any games yet this year. Uh, I thought your points about the offense were good. One thing I want to point out about the Chiefs' defense, they really rounded into form in the second half of the year last year. They gave up less than 12 points a game in the final six games of the regular season. So their defense really came on strong in addition to that ridiculous offense. Yeah, I mean, if you're Pete Sweeney here, you're you're talking about how the Chiefs are basically can't be defeated at all. And uh, (laughs) in fairness, you know, Patrick Mahomes, uh, Andy Reid, pretty good, pretty good combo there. Um, I want to take it to number two uh, with the Ravens here stats. I mean, I think the Ravens are interesting. I think it's an interesting outlook because we all assume, you know, they're one of those top two teams, not only in the NFL, obviously in the AFC, um, and, and could be number one 
But I just wonder about Lamar Jackson. Not that, that he's bad or anything, or like he's, you know, it's a gimmick. I, I just I wonder how much he's going to regress because he just had such a good year last year, and I think it was such a unique style of offense that they played. And I still think the Ravens are loaded, but I just I just wonder, you know, because I, I saw Carson Wentz regress. You know, I've seen that happen the past couple of seasons now, so I'm kind of I'm skeptical of that. And even Patrick Mahomes, like obviously he was, he was great and led him the chiefs to the super bowl but he had his moments last year like he took a step back and obviously the injury played in the too but uh yeah so i'm kind of just watching out for that with him and i think it's fair to say they will regress when you score 30 points in a year or more generally history has shown that you're you are going to regress here's the thing like how much though because last year look at lamar jackson for example only five running backs had more rushing yards than lamar jackson He's not going to do that again this year. But even if he regresses by a couple hundred yards, he could still have a 1,000-yard rushing season. So the question becomes, how much are they going to take a step backwards? I don't think they're going to run him as much, and they're not going to be as good, especially at finishing drives with touchdowns, which is something they did at an incredible rate last year. But I don't think it's going to backslide enough to really change my season outlook for them. You have them at the top of the power rankings very close to it, I should say. And I think that's a smart move by you. We talked about Patrick Mahomes. We talked about Lamar Jackson. Now let's talk about the best quarterback in the NFL, Russell Wilson. Um, Wow. Uh, Hot take. Is it? I don't know. But uh, and and that's nothing against Patrick Mahomes, who I love very much, but uh, and think is awesome. But I think Russell Wilson would easily be like the number one quarterback if the Seahawks let him be the number one quarterback. (laughs) I am part of the let Russ cook movement as an NFL objective kind of fan, as an Eagles fan who watches the Eagles lose to Russell Wilson all the time. And it's incredibly frustrating because it looks like they just don't even stand a chance of defending him. I'm not a fan of let Russ cook, but in the general sense, I mean, what are the Seahawks doing here? Like you have the best quarterback in the NFL. They don't seem to realize that. Uh, And that's why I put the Seahawks at four in here. And I think a lot of people might be like, oh, that's too high. Maybe it is because, again, the coaching staff could kind of hold them back and there's a lot of other issues there. But, I mean, you look at the consistency with which the Seahawks perform with Russell Wilson and, like, their worst season is, like, what, nine and seven? Like, it's crazy. Like, they're they're winning double-digit games almost every year in the playoffs, like, almost every year. They're just, to me, you know, I even have them against your 49 or, or above your 49ers stats. Yes, I'm aware of that. And this is my first issue with your with your rankings. You have Chiefs one, Ravens two, and then you have two other NFC teams, the Saints and the Seahawks, above my 49ers. And mm-hmm. I have to ask, how? How are you doing? What is with the disrespect here? First of all, the 49ers got to the Super Bowl. Second of all, they played both of those teams in the regular season. They beat the Saints in a crazy game. They beat the Seahawks once and, frankly, should have beaten them twice if the backup kicker could have made a 43-yard field goal. They would have won that game in overtime. How do you have the Niners below the Saints and the Seahawks? Well, stats, I think you go back to Week 17, first of all, and the Seahawks were like an inch away from beating the 49ers and taking them out of that number one overall spot, which would, you know, the playoffs would go entirely different. They didn't, but I'm saying it was that close. So I don't know that they're like that far behind them. And to me, even putting that aside, you know, whatever, throw that aside if you want. It comes down to the quarterback. This is non-negotiable for me. I mean, I am not convinced enough from Jimmy G. I know the quarterback wins, but like, come on. Is Jimmy G really going to like, you know, in the guts of the game when you, it's almost like in the NBA, when you need that guy to take like a final shot, 
uh like do you trust him over russell wilson over drew Brees? i mean drew Brees hasn't been getting done the playoffs maybe not the best example but like i just don't he's not that elite quarterback to me and i i totally buy kyle shanahan i totally buy the 49ers defense i think they're going to be a good team but i'm closer to a 10 win team than a 13 win team but here's my thing about the quarterback, and I know everyone likes to go there. First of all, the 49ers beat the Seahawks two years ago with Nick Mullins at quarterback. Mm. So, like, take Jimmy Garoppolo completely out of the equation. Last year, Garoppolo had multiple game-winning touchdown passes in the final minute during the regular season. The Week 17 game against the Seahawks that you're talking about, he didn't throw an incomplete pass in the second half of that game. An incompletion he didn't throw. And I, you know, I, I'm not arguing that he's better than Russell Wilson because he's Definitely not. I think Russell Wilson, like you said, the argument can be made he's the best quarterback in the game. I totally agree. But, I mean, the 49ers beat the Seahawks with Russell Wilson last, uh, with Jimmy Garoppolo last season. And don't forget, the game the 49ers lost, Russell Wilson's going to be the GOAT of that game. He throws the interception in the red zone that Drake Greenlaw returns that set up that missed field goal. If, if the 49ers make that kick, Russell Wilson's the GOAT of that game. But he, they didn't, and obviously they went on to win. So congratulations to them. So I, I I don't know. I just think if you look at the whole of the roster, the 49ers have the better roster than the Seahawks overall. And yeah, Jimmy Garoppolo is not as good as Russell Wilson, but he's good enough. So this is going to be a fun thing the whole season. My my Seahawks versus your 49ers. Your Seahawks? My, my adopted Seahawks. Apparently. I don't think I want to do this show with you anymore. I mean, really, it's my Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson's my favorite player in the NFL. So that's kind of... And you're right, by the way. If Pete Carroll didn't consistently take the ball out of his best player's hands, the Seahawks would win a hell of a lot more. I Mm. love the fact that he doesn't let Russ cook. That's the only thing stopping them, I think, from winning the division, frankly, is Pete Carroll runs it twice and then says on third down, hey, Russ, just bail us out. Yeah, not the best strategy to uh, always be in these close one-score games at the end when you could probably just be blowing these teams out but uh and maybe i'm so i'm hoping you know i'm i'm like it's probably irrational maybe it is i feel like i've seen some sentiment from out there that they're finally gonna i think because i think i even saw russell wilson at one point kind of advocating for himself to like let me cook uh so i'm hoping you know that it happens and maybe that's just wishful thinking but, but that's why i have the seahawks high for now i think they're ceiling i think that's the thing like if things go right and they might not get there the ceiling is there for me and yeah, you know, when the guy that ends every interview with Go Hawks is the one saying, hey, why don't we treat every quarter like the fourth quarter? Like when Russell is finally publicly saying, essentially, like, give me the ball, you know, it's gotten pretty bad there. I agree, Stats. Um, why don't we go to the NFC East, where I know a thing or two about that division. Uh, and I'm guessing you're not going to have an issue. So you had an issue with me putting the Seahawks over the 49ers. I don't think you're going to have an issue with me putting the Cowboys over the Eagles. Is that fair to say? I think that you're right that the Cowboys are more talented. <laughs> well, than that's the fair. The Cowboys are more talented than the Eagles. The problem mm-hmm. is I feel like we've seen this before from the Cowboys. Like everything is set up where they should be good and they're never as good as we think that they should be. I think the difference with the Cowboys this year and I mean, please don't let RJ Ochoa or any Cowboys fans or, or blogging the boys listen to this and like, please don't clip this. So, <laughs> I mean, that's obviously going to happen now. Um, yes. The, th- the thing is, in the past stats, the Cowboys have been that team where, like, I think they kind of outperformed, like, their DVA and their, uh, like, their point differential. You know what I mean? Like, they they kind of were better than some of the advanced metrics 
have shown. And this past season is really the opposite. Like they finished as the number two overall offense in DVOA. And, you know, obviously point differential was high there, up there too. And they didn't make the playoffs. You know, they finished eight and eight. And I just think that points to them really like it's positive regression. Like they're going to take a step forward. I mean, just look at the talent they have. I mean, like you don't even need to overthink it. It's Mark Cooper. It's CeeDee Lamb, who's awesome, awesome, awesome player. And very sad that the Eagles did not get him. <laughs> and Michael Gallup. I mean, it's it's they're loaded. They're, who cares about the defense? Like People were talking about, oh, the defense might not be good. Who cares? It doesn't matter. They're going to be able to win shootouts. They're going to put up a ton of points. Uh, they, you know, I, I do think one thing that Cowboys fans could kind of, like, reality could kinda come down crashing hard on them is that Jason Garrett wasn't the root of every single one of their issues, which they seem to blame him for. It's like anything that goes wrong in any capacity <laughs> is just Jason Garrett's fault. And you get rid of him and it's magically fixed. Like I feel like that's how they treat it. Um, so I think that part could be a little bit, you know, like not as rosy as, as they wish, but the offense is going to be really good. I mean, Zeke is a workhorse, takes a lot of pressure off of Dak. Uh, I'm not the biggest Dak guy. So, you know, this kind of runs counter to that sentiment. Um, but obviously he's good enough to have that offense as a top offense and they're going to be a problem. I think the way the Cowboys are built is they want to get a lead on you early. And the way their defense is set up, they're set up to rush the passer. Demarcus Lawrence is there, Everson Griffin. If Alden Smith is anything close to what he was when he was with San Francisco, and I know it's early, but so far the reports have been very good, their defense is going to be a a major problem if they have a lead because those pass rushers are just going to be able to forget about the run and attack the quarterback. The, The Cowboys' weakness, I think, is their secondary. I don't love their, especially their safeties. But if they can get a lead on you and those pass rushers can just go to work and they can pound the ball with Zeke on the other side, the Cowboys could be a major problem that I clearly see how they're built and, and what they're trying to do now, whether they can pull it off, we'll see, but it, the foundation makes sense to me. That's their formula. I mean, they're not going to be a team or at least in the past, they haven't been a team that like gets down and can rally from behind. Like they didn't have that just like passing it. It's not like Patrick Mahomes here, you know, who can just kind of rescue you out of a deficit. Like, uh, and I, that's definitely the formula they want. They want to get ahead. They want to be able to pound the rock with Zeke and kind of just run out the clock. And it works really well, like when they can do it. And that's why they've won a lot of games um, when they have over these past couple seasons. That's their formula. Um, when it comes to the Eagles stats, uh, you know, I, I have them outside of the top 10, as you said. And look, I mean, everyone knows this stat. If you're an Eagles fan, if you're a Cowboys fan, maybe if you're an NFL fan in general at this point, because it's been since 2004, since the NFC East has had a repeat winner as the division champs. It's every year. It's a different team. It's just how it goes. Um, and obviously now it's not as wide open as it kind of used to be, where like all four teams were in play. It's more of just like an Eagles or Cowboys kind of, you know, which one of those two teams is going to win. And I think the Eagles are just on that cusp, uh, you know, of the top 10. I have them 11th here again. And I just, I don't know that like they're ready to make that leap from the nine and seven team they've been the past couple of years. I mean, in theory, uh, I think Deshaun Jackson being back could make a huge difference for this offense. I mean, because they, they haven't had a deep passing game. They, they haven't been explosive. They ranked 31st in yards after the catch last year on passes beyond the line of scrimmage they're they're not they're the, the most tackleable team in the nfl they, <laughs> there's no threat uh once they have the ball in their hands so to have that more explosive element i think that can make a huge difference for the eagles but i just 
And I think the defense is even going to be improved. I mean, you get Darius Slay, you get Javon Hargrave. Um, defensive line has been looking good in camp. But it's just like I don't know that they have enough to really top Dallas even one-on-one. And then obviously just over the course of the season, I just don't know. Um, I think I think they're like, you know, my thing with the Eagles has been they've barely made the playoffs the past couple of seasons. They make the sixth seed by the skin of their teeth in 2018. They win a terrible division uh, in 2019. And I could just see them making like the seventh seed this year, like the new seventh seed that is, you know, a, a totally new thing and like just barely making it. So, so that's where I'm at with them. The thing I worry about with the Eagles is their depth because guys are going to get hurt. And when they do, what do they have beyond the starters? And that's when I really start to worry. You know, Carson Wentz is great. I think Carson Wentz is, a top five quarterback, frankly, but he can't be wow. throwing to to Greg Ward all year long. Like he just can't. You, no one can be expected to hold up under those conditions. So I think health is going to be a huge factor for them. But if they get any sort of health, I think that they could. I think they're definitely making the playoffs in the NFC. And I I don't, wouldn't be stunned if they won that division at all. I think you could make the argument that the division could come down to the two games against the Cowboys this year. Yeah, it probably will. I feel like it usually does. Um, can I rip another team stats? Will you let me? Will you let me do that? Uh, just hang on. One more thing I want to make about uh, Doug Peterson. All right, let's hear it. Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay and Andy Reid—they get a ton of love. Pete Carroll gets a ton. Of, Doug Peterson deserves way more love than he gets. He's just yeah. as good an offensive mind as as Shanahan or McVay or any of these guys, and he has a Super Bowl like. Are we forgetting Doug Peterson's a really good coach and he gets none of the love the other guys get? Now you're speaking my language. This is, I like to hear this. It's very true. I mean, Sean McVay, incredibly overrated. Doug Peterson should have won coach of the year that year. I mean, it's not even close. Look at the adversity he's had to deal with. But uh, I could do a whole podcast just on that. <laughs> Stats, let me pose this to you. Okay, so you have some, you know, over the hill Boston sports stars you know, generating a lot of hype. Uh, by heading down south to a new team. Do you know who I'm talking about here? Do you have a guess? Would that be Steven Goskowski? Um, it's not him. Oh. Um, uh, boy, I no. can't think of anybody more, else. More that... prominent. Um, well, you could say it's the 2020 Buccaneers, but I was actually talking about the 2013 Brooklyn Nets who got Paul Pierce <laughs> and Kevin Garnett. Uh, way past their prime and i guess what i'm trying to say is there is no difference between the 2020 buccaneers and the 2013 brooklyn nets way overhyped both teams uh i don't want to look i don't want to make myself look as mr know-it-all over here but obviously i do know everything and when the nets uh got those guys i feel like i was one of the only same people in the world being like this isn't going to work like these guys are over the hill i mean they're going to be better than what they were because the nets were really bad they're going to you know make the playoffs but they're not going anywhere they're not going to they're not a serious championship contender and for everyone to just assume that the buccaneers now because they got tom brady and gronk and whatever that they're just going to be and a 43 year old tom brady by the way who looked washed last year and just assuming now that they're like i mean peter king with all due respect to Peter King, has the Bucks like in the Super Bowl. And I don't even I don't know if he predicted the winner of that game, but he he has them making and I just don't see it, stats. I don't think Tom Brady has it anymore. And 
this is someone who I've seen Tom Brady in practice. He came to the Eagles training camp in 2013. It was the most incredible thing I've seen in my life. Um, bar none. I was, you know, I was like, whatever, it's Tom Brady. I had no expectations. You know, I thought, whatever, he's good. But like, he was amazing. He was so accurate. He literally ended this guy named Curtis Marsh. He ended his career. Curtis Marsh, cornerback, having a great training camp for the Eagles. Picked up, picked him apart in practice. The Eagles cut him. Never heard from him again. <laughs> I don't even know if he's alive anymore. Um, so, but like that Tom Brady, you know, that, that's seven years ago now. Now I look at him last year. He's playing the Eagles. And the Patriots should have killed that team because the Eagles weren't at a really good point. And he was so inaccurate. And I think you saw that throughout the season. Now people are going to say, oh, a supporting cast. I don't care. Like he's 43. The accuracy isn't there anymore. I know people have been in a rush to bury Tom Brady before and it has never ended well for them because he always endures. But I'm ready to say stick a fork in Tom Brady. The Bucks might make the playoffs, but they're, they're not a championship contender. First of all, I've confirmed that Curtis Marsh is still alive. It's good to know. So congrats. That's good. We're, we're happy for you. Um, okay, so you sort of mentioned a couple of the things. I agree with you that I don't think that they are Super Bowl contenders. Um, but I will point out that Brady's going to have to do less in his career than he's ever had to do with this team. I feel like his job is going to be take the ball and in two seconds or less, get rid of it and throw it to Evans and throw it to Gronk and OJ Howard and hell, even Leonard Fournette now coming out of the backfield. They're not asking Brady to be what he had to be in New England. I feel like they just want a guy basically that's not going to throw 30 interceptions like Jameis Winston last year. Yeah, that'll help. I mean, not having uh, Jameis, is, is, it's definitely an upgrade. Look, they're not, again, they're, I don't think they're like a bottom five team or anything. I just, I don't, I think they're a playoff team or possibly uh, on, in that conversation. I have them 14th in my power ranking. So in theory, you know, the, now that there's 14 playoff teams, they're, they're kind of that on the cusp of that caliber. But Stats like I've been through the dream team Eagles. You know, this this team like, everyone thought they're gonna be awesome. I've been through heck the 2015 Eagles, where Sam Bradford has an amazing preseason game against the Packers, and everyone has the Eagles in the Super Bowl. I've seen this kind of hype like before a season, and it doesn't end well. And maybe that's only in Philadelphia, and maybe and maybe that's what's steering me wrong here. But I just don't think. Uh, and especially in this offseason, you know, with COVID and everything, and there's not the normal amount of practice time, you're taking all these new pieces and a quarterback, especially, uh, and putting them in Tampa Bay. And that's just going to instantly be great from the jump. I just don't buy it. I f- would feel worse about it, except I really think that Bruce Arians is an awesome head coach. And he's got a history with quarterbacks that's phenomenal. And I see the smile that came over your face when I said that. Are you you're down on Mr. Kangle, Bruce Arians? I, I agree with you. I would just say that after listening to Monday Football Monday uh, with, with RJ Ochoa, he, he he had some hot takes about Bruce Arians, and he was talking about how like, yeah, okay, he's done good work with quarterbacks, but they're all like top picks, or you know, you know, and if it's Brady now, it's like one of the best of all time. It's always like a number one pick. Um, so I thought that was a good point. I do like Arians though, and I, and I do think that's a big reason why the Bucks will make the playoffs is him. He'll have that team in good position, but I just again just not a championship contender to me. Yeah, I mean, that's true. They all were top picks, but top picks fail just as often as they succeed. And my argument would be, I I need to I want to test this with people that would know better than me because I've always been behind the scenes until now. And, uh, you know, but my theory is that most NFL quarterbacks fail because they're not coached and developed properly. Like, I think there's more than 32 guys that are physically capable of being an NFL quarterback. But I don't know that there's guys that are capable from the neck up. And to me, that's mostly coaching. And so you can say what you want that Bruce Arians has had good players, and he has, but 
I think they succeed in part because he's there teaching them and guiding them. What, what, what do you want to do now, Stats? Do you want to go any more power rankings? Do, do you want to move on? Uh, do you want me to rip another fraud team? Because, I mean, I have no shortage of those. I think we should get into the AFC South a little bit. The Titans are at 7 and the Texans are at 10. I think a lot of people are doubting what Ryan Tannehill did last year. And I get it because, you know, it was just so sudden. And it almost seems like he can't do it again because he was playing at such a high level. But that's the thing with me. Like, he was legitimately playing, like, incredibly well. And now, you know, he was aided by Derrick Henry, you know, having him there. Um, but I, I, he was putting up elite numbers. Like, Ryan Tannehill was doing really well. He he had them in good position. And I don't know if he's going to be able to duplicate it for sure. But I wouldn't rule it out. I think too many people are just, like, totally dismissing it. It's, it was a fluke, unsustainable, whatever. And maybe I look dumb for putting this much faith in them. But I have them seventh. I like Mike Rabel a lot. I think he's a good head coach. And, you know, I think that team is in pretty good position to win the AFC South. Yeah, I think Vrabel is the best part of that team. He is a coach that strikes me as one of those guys that's always going to be able to make his team better than they should be, which I think, honestly, is Bill Belichick's biggest asset. He always seems to do that. And Vrabel has shown to be a similar kind of coach. And just looking at the way he used that um, that loophole and the rules to run down all the clock, at the end of the playoff game, which we saw Belichick do. Like, all these guys try to be Belichick when they leave him, but I think Vrabel actually is basically like baby Belichick. And that's going to help Tennessee. Let me ask you this, because I heard on the Monday Football Monday podcast that Ryan Tannehill was, quote, the AFC Jimmy Garoppolo. Do you believe that? <laughs> that's a good comp. Uh, I guess I didn't, I didn't even hear that. I uh, must have. What, Niners Nation guy. My ears perk up when somebody mentions Jimmy Garoppolo. Oh man, that's interesting. That is, I never thought about that. That is an interesting comp. I, I would. I think Tannehill. Like, I think Tannehill's high. Like the way he was actually playing last year was so good, though. Like, it w- it was such a high. I think it's higher than Jimmy, Jimmy Garoppolo has ever been. At, like at his very best, his very most elite. And I and I unlike Jimmy Garoppolo, I think I think Garoppolo is so aided by Kyle Shanahan, and that's not a put down. Like. A, you know, it's a credit to Kyle Shanahan, it's a credit to Garoppolo for making the most and like for being the perfect fit for that system. But I, I just think Tannehill, um, I, I don't know. I maybe again, maybe I'm putting way too much stock into this, but I just I was so impressed by how the numbers looked from his season last year. I was so impressed with how that team just turned around, like just how they flipped the switch really from going from Mariota to him. Like all, they were this. They're really just this irrelevant team with Marcus Mariota. It was like, who, what could you even say about the Titans? They're just kind of—they're not terrible, but they're not actually good. But they put Tannehill in there, and they were like, actually good, an actually good team. So that's an interesting comp. Um, is it r- irresponsible if I say I have more trust in Ryan Tannehill than Jimmy Garoppolo? Probably, but I'm going to say yeah. <laughs> you know, I used to produce Pro Football Talk with Florio and Chris Sims, and Chris's point about Tannehill was that like when you watch the tape. He's making throws in tight windows. And the phrase he always said basically was he gets the most out of all the plays that were there. Like if there was a guy open deep, he hit him and they were able to like they made those plays. Whereas with Jimmy Garoppolo and maybe some other guys, maybe there's a a play that could lead to a deep touchdown. But Garoppolo throws the ball behind the guy a little bit. And so he ends up getting tackled. So it might be a good game, but it's not a touchdown. Whereas with Tannehill. He was making the plays to maximize everything that was on the field, which, I mean, if he keeps doing that, like you said, then they're going to have just as much success as, as they did last year, maybe more. 
Yeah, and then when it comes to the Colts, you know, if we're sticking in the AFC South, I just what does a thirty-year-old Philip Rivers like really bring to the Colts? Like, what what does he really do for that team? He's an upgrade from Jacoby Brissett, but by by how much and to what ex- like to what tangible effect? I just I think they're going to be in position to win that division as well because again, I like Frank Reich, former Eagles offensive coordinator. A little bias there, <laughs> um, but I think he's done a good job and I think he's a good coach. Um, you talk about Doug Peterson earlier, you know, Frank Reich you know, was under him and a lot of people in Philly still miss Frank Reich. Um, and there's obviously that influence there. And, uh, they have the PFF's number one ranked offensive line, you know, yes. so, you know, maybe this is like a really good support system for rivers. He's going to have time to throw and, and I think Wright can get the most out of rivers. So I think the Colts are certainly not going to be a bad team. Like, I, I think they're going to be in the position to win the AFC South there, but, even if they do, like my question though still is like, what's the ceiling? Like, are they really Super Bowl contenders with thirty-eight-year-old uh, Philip Rivers? I don't think so. I I just don't know what like the end game is for them. I think it's an upgrade again, but I just I don't know. First of all, I just Philip Rivers is one of my favorite players of all time and one of my favorite quarterbacks. I always call him the Cowboy quarterback because he's just like a cowboy out there. He's running around. He has this weird throwing motion. I don't even know how he gets the ball from point A to point B, but it freaking works, and he's trash-talking everybody. Like He's just one of the guys that I wish would never retire because I just love him so much. But I have to admit, you're right. I mean, what is the ceiling with him? The Colts, to me, do not have – like, who's their biggest playmaker? T.Y. Hilton? Okay, but like if that's mm. your best guy, I don't know how high your ceiling can actually be. And I love Frank Reich. I love Chris Ballard. I think they really know how to build a football team there. I just don't think they're there yet. They would have been if they had Andrew Luck. I'd like him a hell of a lot more, but we all know that didn't work out. So I, I have to agree with you there. The Colts are not a bad team by any stretch, but they're just not a team I think that's going to make a lot of noise. Stats, who's your favorite in the AFC North East? Sorry, East. Oh, without question, it's Buffalo. I'm if you've mm. heard the Niners Nation podcast, the Niners are playing the Bills this year. The game terrifies me. I think Sean McDermott is a really good coach. Like, do you realize if the Bills win the East, like a lot of people say, he's gonna have made the playoffs three times in four years. Nobody does that with the Buffalo Bills. Except Marv Levy. Like, nobody does that. The Bills never make the playoffs. And he's going to do it three times in four years if he goes this year. I, I think the Bills are a scary team, especially that defense. And I love McDermott. So I actually have them 15th in my ranking. So closer to the middle of the pack. And I agree with you on McDermott. Good coach. But mm, it's kind of a problem here. First of all, Bills had the NFL's easiest schedule last season. So they're not going to have that again. And why is that significant? Because Josh Allen's limitations, which do exist very much so, on the worst deep passers in the NFL, uh, obviously accuracy issues are a big deal. Uh, that's going to be magnified against tougher competition this year. And to me, when I look at the Bills, I, you know, look, I like Josh Allen more than I do Mitchell Trubisky or Blake Bortles. <laughs> but I mean, are the two or the 2020 Bills really not? going to be the 2019 bears or the 2018 jaguars like they're they're that mold of a team that has that strong defense and a below average quarterback and you can kind of go on a run one year and it works you know things go the right way you have an easy schedule like the bills did last year but you don't sustain that success so yeah they're in position to win the division in that division because i don't really know what the rest of that i mean the rest of the division is either bad or i don't even know what to make of the patriots but 
I mean, I am not scared of the Bills by any means. The one question mark I have with the Bills is they went out and got Stefan Diggs, which Stefan Diggs is a really good wide receiver, but I feel like he's most effective deep down the field. And I that Josh Allen can't throw deep. I mean, he could throw it far, but who the hell knows where it's going to end up. So that didn't make sense to me from a schematic standpoint. You've got somebody whose strength is deep down the field passing, but you don't have a quarterback that can get him the ball. Yeah, that's kind of an issue. I don't, uh, <laughs> that's where I don't have the faith in him. And uh, turning it to the Patriots, sticking in the AFC East here, I just, I said it, like, I don't know what to make of them. I, I just don't know. Like, no Tom Brady anymore. Uh, a bunch of, you know, key players opted out. Like, Cam Newton is here. And if he's healthy, Cam Newton, okay. There's like intrigue there, but, but is he healthy? Like, because I remember, you know, Cam Newton that I've seen the past couple of years, like his arm is shot. He's not fully effective. He's not the same player. And, you know, you look how long he was lingering out there in free agency and like, what, he got like a million dollars or whatever. It signed like the super low deal. Like, you know, I just, I look at all that. He wasn't exactly this hot commodity. Maybe that's a mistake. And it's Bill Belichick. So home I did doubt him, but I, I just don't know what to make of them. So I just put them in the middle of my power rankings and I was like, they'll go either up or down from here. I don't know. Yeah, that's the Belichick respect, right? You can't say they're going to be a bad team ever because they have Bill Belichick. But I think the thing that was so critical to the Patriots' success with Brady and Belichick is they meshed. Belichick is a coach. He's going to he's gonna rip on everybody. He's going to coach everybody hard. And Brady is a grinder. So he can take that. And he, he takes that as motivation. So their two styles fit together. Well, what's going to happen when Cam Newton misses an open guy? or makes a bad throw, and Belichick calls him out in front of the entire team in that week when they are looking at the film review. Is Cam going to be able to take that? Because he didn't have that in Carolina. He didn't get called out in Carolina. He was sort of protected there by Ron Rivera. And I don't know. I mean, I've seen Mopey Cam Newton on the sideline with the towel over his head. Is that going to fly in New England? Like, how is that going to work out? So maybe if everything goes great and Cam is healthy and they don't face a ton of adversity, it can work out. But if they start to struggle, I feel like it can go really bad really quickly. And you can get the Cam Newton who refuses to dive on the ball in the Super Bowl because he might hurt his knee. I mean, that guy still exists. Any other teams here, stats that really stick out to you? One more team I want to get to, and that's the Pittsburgh Steelers. Because, you know, we talk about the Chiefs and the Ravens in the AFC, and that seems to be everybody's two favorite picks. But if you said to me, you could have the Chiefs and the Ravens or the field in the AFC, I take the field. And one of the biggest reasons is because of the Steelers. If Roethlisberger is healthy, which I think he's going to be, people are sleeping on him. They do not remember how good of a quarterback Ben Roethlisberger is. Stats were on the same page on this one. I think people are sleeping on the Steelers as a whole. And like kind of just that team, like you write off, oh, they've been good in the past, but they're done because, you know, Ben Roethlisberger is 30 years old. He's coming off this serious arm injury. They're done. I don't think so because Mike Timlin has gotten this team to win every season he's been there. They he's earned the benefit of the doubt. You know, we talked about Belichick earning the benefit of the doubt. It's not the same extent, you know, Mike Tomlin, but they've never had a losing season during his tenure stats do you know the last time the Steelers had a losing season in general can you name what year it was for me oh man what year 
Um, it was it was 2003. I'll just tell you because I don't want to. I don't too much dead air. But it's it's been 17 years since they've had a losing season, and this is a, a team. It's a model of consistency. Yeah, I do think Roethlisberger bounces back here. Uh, I I just trust that quarterback head coach combination, and I have him 12th. So I, I don't have him in the top 10. They're going to need to prove a little bit. Um, but you know, there's still a good defense too. I mean, they look look what they did last year. They went like what eight and eight with like second third string quarterback most of the year like that's a good team like they're they even in a like a very bad circumstance they still ended up being average and i just think you know you get roethlisberger back um you know he's not in his prime anymore but he still can be a very good quarterback for that team and i think people are sleeping on them they're i don't you know i i don't think they're gonna win the afc north um or at least you know they're not they shouldn't be the favorites with the ravens there but i mean they can make a run at it, and I I, I feel pretty confident saying they're a playoff team. Yeah, I mean, they had Duck Hodges and Mason Rudolph playing quarterback for them last year. The most memorable thing that happened with those guys is Mason Rudolph getting hit in the head with the helmet by <laughs> Miles Garrett. Um, Roethlisberger is as good as any quarterback in the league when he's healthy, and the Steelers' defense is incredible. They're not going to ask Ben to score 30 points a game. That Steelers' defense with, with Watt and Minka Fitzpatrick they are incredible, and they are going to keep them in a ton of games. I think I totally agree with you. Everything is set up for the Steelers to be that sneaky team that people don't see coming, and then oh, you look up and they're ten and six, maybe eleven and five. One more team stats that I want I want to mention here, um, if if we have time for it. Uh, a team on the rise. You know, we talked we kind of talked about like the forgotten team, the Steelers. Uh, a team I don't know what to do with, and the Patriots. You know, a, a fraud team in the in the Bills. And the 49ers. No, just kidding. Oh. Um, that, that was just a, that was a, just to see if you're listening. Uh, the Cardinals, to me, staying in the NFC West, are a team prime for a big leap this year. I mean, I, I almost see them potentially as like the 2017 Eagles, you know, who were you know, that, they had that first year in 2016 with Doug Peterson and Carson Wentz, and they went seven and nine. And, you know, they were just kind of putting the building blocks in place. And I would say the Cardinals were potentially doing the same thing last year with Cliff Kingsbury, who improved that offense from like 32nd in DVOA the year before we got there to like 13th last year. So like the offense took a big step forward. And I think Kyler Murray is going to take a big step forward in year two, especially now that you have DeAndre Hopkins there. I think I'm pretty bullish on the Cardinals. I think they're going to take that step forward. I think they're they're that team that um, people like think, okay, they're going to improve a little bit, but they could actually improve a lot more than people expect. Here's the thing. Every year, there are teams that we love, right? We think they're going to be really, really good. A couple years ago, it was the 49ers, the year Jimmy Garoppolo got hurt. Last year, it was the Cleveland Browns. People were all over the Browns. And those guys... Well, that's always, every year. Those guys always disappoint. And I feel like this year in the NFC, it's either going to be the Buccaneers, they're going to be the hype team that disappoints, or the Arizona Cardinals. And I agree with mm. you. Kyler Murray, I think, is awesome and is only getting better. But I don't think Cliff Kingsbury knows a damn thing about defense. And I don't see that Cardinals defense stopping anybody. So they're going to play a bunch of really fun, interesting games. How many they're going to win? I I could see seven and nine for the Cardinals easily. Maybe they're like the seventh seed in the NFC. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously they're not. I don't think they're going to win the division. But I think they're, they're going to surprise some people. I mean, maybe... They are getting more hype than I'm. I'm really realizing, and people are in on them. But from what I've seen, I just feel like people are a little bit moderate about it, and I just I think they they can make a big leap. All right. Uh, something else we want to do on this show is survivor picks, and I mm. want to let you go first with your survivor pick. 
I I was really impressed with your power rankings. You didn't have the Eagles in the top 10. You've been fairly objective about all the things you've done so far, and I want to give you credit for that. So I'm going to the floor is yours. Make your survivor pick for week one. Stats, you praise me here for being not uh, biased at all. And of course, I'm immediately just going to throw that out the window as I take the Eagles oh, to beat Washington on. football team. I mean, look, Dwayne Haskins is awful. Like for as much doubt as I might have or concerns I have about the Eagles offensive line, especially going up against that Washington front, Dwayne Haskins and Dwayne Haskins, I I hate to say it, also had his best game against the Eagles last year. So I'm going to be kicking myself for this. I'm sure I will because I I never even really do well in Survivor League. So maybe you should just totally ignore my pick. But all that aside, Dwayne Haskins is really bad. He's arguably the worst starting quarterback in the NFL and it's not like he has a lot of great support to help him outside of Terry McLaurin, who is awesome. So to me, it's Eagles over Washington. That's my lock of the week. That's fair. I mean, I have zero confidence in Washington. I would honestly probably pick them to lose every game they play this year because I, I don't have confidence in Haskins. I don't have confidence in anything they have going on. And Ron Rivera is a good coach, but he's not Doug Peterson. And they don't have anybody as good as Carson Wentz. So if you've got the best coach and the best player on the field, I got to go with the Eagles there. So I, as much as I want to ding you for being a homer, that kind of makes sense to me. Uh, as far as my pick, I was going to go with the Bills over the Jets because I think the Jets are a complete dumpster fire. I think they have no weapons for Sam Darnold. And I, Adam Gase, to me, is totally over his skis as an NFL head coach. He doesn't get it. Uh, but we talked about the Bills a lot already, so I'm going to leave them aside. I'm going to get risky right off the bat in week one and go with the Detroit Lions over the Chicago Bears. The Bears make no sense to me whatsoever. You have a whole year with Mitchell Trubisky. He stinks. You go out and you give up a fourth-round pick to get Nick Foles because you want to pair him with Matt Nagy and John DeFilippo because that's when he was at his best when he was working with those guys in Philly. And then you start Mitchell Trubisky, even though we've had no preseason games, no practices against other teams. You've already seen who Mitchell Trubisky is. He ain't the guy. I'm sorry. He's not going to turn into the guy. You make the move for Foles and then you don't put him in. I, the Bears make no sense to me. I just, I don't know what they're doing. And Matt Stafford was really good when he was healthy last year. I, I got to go with the Lions over the Bills in week one. Unfortunately for you, Stats. Trubisky plays well against the Lions, and I know this because some Lions fans' friends, and they're like, they'd love to rag on Mitchell Trubisky, but in a way, they can't. Like They know they can't. They're like, like he, he plays well against us inexplicably, so uh, so that is dangerous. But on, on the Foles thing, um, I get what you're saying, but I, I think it actually makes sense because it's easier to go from Trubisky to Foles than it is if they had to go from Foles to Trubisky. Now, you could say they wouldn't need to go from Foles to Trubisky, potentially, but I don't know, because Foles gets hurt. That does happen. Everyone will say Carson Wentz is injury-prone. Foles gets hurt a lot. He's never made it through a full season. And also, he's pretty inconsistent. For as high as he can get, and he has very high highs, obviously won the Super Bowl, Super Bowl MVP, Eagles beat the Patriots 41-33. I was <laughs> throwing that in there. Uh, like, he's really low lows, too. And he looks, he looks terrible. I've seen him in training camp sometimes look awful. Um, so I don't even know that he deserved to be, you know, I wasn't there. None of us were there for bears camp. Um, but yeah, so I think it's not insane actually. And look, I'm not a Trubisky. Guy. No one, who's a Trubisky guy. No one right. is actually a, Mr. who's Trubisky a Trubisky guy. guy? Mrs. Trubisky. Uh, unless you're, you know, just like Homer delusional bears fan who just wants your team to be good and you're, you're hoping it happens. But yeah, I, I think, I think it's only a matter of time before Foles is in there. So 
It could be like week two. It could be as soon as week two. But haven't you ever heard the phrase, what must be done eventually must be done immediately? If it's inevitable, put him in now. Like I just, two years you've had with Mitchell Trubisky if you're Matt Nagy. You you really think that somewhere hidden, locked away is this great quarterback? I mean, I I don't know why you would, what indication has he given you that it's in there? I think it's Ryan Pace just trying to, you know, like one last shot, you know, like one last shot to make this pick work. And it probably won't, but he's hoping anyway. Right. Don't forget, they traded up with the 49ers to get Mitchell Trubisky and <laughs> passed on Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. So there is an Yikes. element of that. These GMs and their picks, they they try and salvage it for sure. For sure. All right. So that's we've given you some power rankings. We've given you some survivor picks. Like we said, we're going to have Monday Night Football breakdown once they play Monday Night Football games. But I think that's going to do it for this week. Please rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. And oh, uh, one more thing. What do we want? This is the oddcast. What do we want to call our fans? Because obviously they're going to be legions of them. That's the thing, stats. Like this, this podcast more than any other podcast in the entire world. I, I say here uh, should have a community. Like that's what SB Nation is about. Um, we want to have fun with you, listeners. You know, we want to interact. So I'm thinking we call them the hashtag Odd Squad because I mean, why not? It seems like it rhymes. Come on, such a <laughs> you know, it's, it's such a no brainer. Now, upon looking this up, I wanted to see like, okay, who else has that name? What is that? I, I saw it's a Canadian slash American children's live action educational TV series. So we're not that one. And that one doesn't have ODD all capitalized. So I think it's different. And uh, I, don't, I don't know how many kids are using Twitter. Hopefully none. Kids should not be on Twitter. It's not a safe place for kids. Um, so hashtag Odd Squad if you're listening to this. And again, you know, go to the SB Nation NFL show podcast feed. You know, leave a five-star review and a rating and specifically mention the podcast hashtag odd squad and uh yeah why not and plus you know if we could look we're trying to build this audience up if we could start off with the canadian children's demographic <laughs> you know boosting us up artificially i'm not too proud like i'll take it we, we want fans so we'll take wherever we can get them awesome so that's gonna do it for us uh tune in wednesday by the way you can be on the lookout for the palpably unfair podcast with kyle posey and michael kiss those of you that are eagles fans certainly know michael kiss that's gonna do it for us we'll see you next week 